0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission.
1: Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes
2: for Radio Le Mans or visiting Radiolamon.com.
0: The
3: sound of endurance racing
0: around the world.
3: This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crail here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the racetalk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most. The voice of the Melbourne Cricket Ground as well is Tony Shebeki.
2: G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. It is pre-Bathurst week and that is where we're going to focus our attention this week. Very shortly we're going to speak to Bathurst co-driver Jack Perkins who has uh, found himself a gig with Brad Jones Racing this year for the Great Race. He'll be uh, looking at doing a good job there I'm sure as he always does uh, with his co-driving stints there at Bathurst. We'll also catch up with Mark Walker, Dale Rogers, Richard Crowell and myself And we're going to talk about our top five Bathurst drives. Interesting one. You can join in the conversation as well on the racetalk.com's social media channels. Tune into that one a little bit later on as well. All right. Joining us as he does every week for our guest chat, Richard Crail. Hello, Crailsey. How are you from the racetalk.com? Yes, Shabekster. I'm well. How are you? Marvellous. Thank you, mate. Marvellous. Absolute weather down here in Melbourne, so... Getting used to that again. Yeah,
3: well, spring has sprung here in sunny South Australia. We've had a good stretch of nice weather. A bit of rain lately, though. A bit bipolar, actually. But uh, yeah. it's all good. And just coming to terms with the fact that Bathurst is now, what, a week and a half away. We're not far away from the great race. And, and
2: we're really really looking there. forward to that.
3: No, I know. And that's rubbish, isn't it? Just terrible. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so it's I don't rubbish.
2: Like, I don't it is like rubbish that. for us. <laughs> but it's not rubbish for this bloke who will be there. And is making his way up there shortly, currently in self-isolation, somewhere in the back paddocks of New South Wales. We speak, of course, of Jack Perkins, who gets another drive in the Great Race in 2020. Hello, Jack. How are you?
0: Yeah, good, Shebex and Kralzi. Good to chat to you boys and uh, disappointed to hear that you won't both be coming to Bathurst. I must admit, at one stage, I thought I wasn't going to be going either, but I am happy to say that I am going
3: yeah well it's strange old year for you mate because you had a co-drive locked in and then that team disappeared out of the championship that's been well covered this year so just talk about the process of of how you've landed up alongside jack smith in the sct logistics car at bjr yeah it's
0: been um it's been a really challenging year mate i mean i'm certainly not on my own when it comes to the, the year that we've all faced but um you know a co-driver typically gets to the end of the endurance season the year before and you know over that Christmas period when people are cracking beers we're busy trying to get a next deal together for an endurance campaign and I'd done all that hard work and I got myself into a really good position with you know driving with Will Davison in, in a Milwaukee Mustang and uh, you know it was fantastic and then um, we got to the super test at Taylor and Ben and the car was the quickest. And then Will was quite competitive at Clipsol and then obviously Grand Prix and thinking, of, you know, I've, I've done the right thing here. And then, as we all know, the, the COVID-19 thing uh, hit us in the face like a, a water balloon. And um, unfortunately, the, the team had to fold because Milwaukee, uh, you know, had to pull the pin and save some money and whatnot. And that's now hard feelings there whatsoever. I mean, I'm I'm glad it was only one team. It's just a shame that it affected me. But at that point of the year, which is now fast track to sort of June, July, there's not a lot of race winning Bathurst one thousand seats there. So um it was a bit of a challenging situation just to sort of navigate my way through what little opportunities were left. Um there was some flattering phone calls, I guess, you know, they help help tickle the ego a little bit. There was a couple of nice chats there, but for me I, you know, I'm I'm really happy to land at Brad Jones Racing back in Holden Commodore, a team that's in form, mm. and um, you know a different per, sort of job for me. You know, not different job, but a different sort of uh, environment. Working with a, a rookie in Jack Smith, so you know, I'm, I'm really happy the way it's all panned out. To you know, a be on the grid, but b being a competitive car and a competitive team.
2: It was quite an interesting scenario because I think most of us probably thought that when the drive went with Will the fact that James Courtney came into the team and took that seat and the fact that you had already had a relationship with James through previous drives may have meant that that may continue this year. It seemed logical that that would continue
0: that year. Is there a reason why it didn't? Uh, Yeah, I suppose (laughs) what's logical to some isn't to others, mate. Um, (laughs) You know, it it seemed like we would have, you would have thought after driven with someone for five years and I guess, you know, we were already in the team and everything that, that was good, you know, pretty good chance of happening out of all the scenarios that could have played out. But um, as we know, the the sponsor decided to go with someone else. So um, that, you know, cost me a bit of time in terms of chasing something, but you we know, can't dwell on that. That is what it is. So um, whilst I, you know, would love, I'm not going to say that I wouldn't like to have driven with James because I, I definitely would have. I'm, you know that opportunity is not there, and um, you know, I'm like I said, I'm. I'm happy to be back in Holden. It's their last year on the on the mountain, supporting the, the sport as a you know as a business, and um, you know, to be with another top line team at Brad Jones Racing, it's you know my list of teams I've driven for now is is getting up there. So I've got another race suit to put in the uh in the closet come the end of the year.
2: <laughs> and and I, I must say I do love the synergy of you being with Brad Jones Racing. Uh, the, the history of Brad Jones Racing, uh, the history of Perkins, all that sort of stuff. There's there's a lot of, you know, family connection, I suppose, around it as well. It, it seems like a nice fit for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always liked driving with the family teams. Um, I think the last time I did uh, it was, you know, Gary Rogers Motorsport, if you like. And um, it's certainly an environment that I'm that I'm you know familiar with, um, but equally. Um, it's just good to see that the team's competitive. You know, they punch above their weight a bit there. And um, I think the the way that they, that they run the team, Brad and Kim do a fantastic job. And um, I've got good experience with the engineer on that car is, is Paul Forgey, who most of you would know was with Ambrose in, in his Stone Brothers era. But I worked with him in New Zealand when I was co-driver for Greg Murphy. So I've worked with him for three seasons as well. So that's kind of how it, it, it helped you know, join a bit of a link and um, Paul was pretty keen to to get us in the car with Jack and, um, and, and and you know, I'm look, looking forward to working with those guys. That's for sure.
3: Well, that was going to be my next question, mate. Did you reach out to Brad or did Paul drive that process to get you in on board? Because it, it seems like a smart decision with a young bloke in Jack Smith who's still getting up to speed, especially in a race this year where there's no enduro warm-ups going into it, having a co-driver that can slot straight in with a lot of experience and you've got plenty of that at Mount Panorama now. Um, how did that process come through and, and was it driven by Brad or Paul or, or yourself?
0: Well, it's funny, actually. Um, I had spoken to Brad in the off season about, you know, potentially running with uh, Nicholas Perkett. Yep. I don't know why I called him Nicholas, but Nick Perkett. Um So I'd sort of spoken to Brad, um, uh, you know, I think it was December, and uh, you know, then I decided to go one way and they went another way, and there's no hard feelings or anything, but um, I'd spoken to Paul, and actually Andy Jones played a, played a pretty big role because he uh, has a role with the Smith family and then obviously has a role yep. with BJR. So I sort of ended up dealing a lot um, more with Andy, uh, who I know very, very well, and, um, and, and uh, you know, we were able to put something together and, you know, obviously um, Jack's dad and the family own the franchise or the wreck, if you like. So they've got a, you know, a bit of involvement in, in this decision-making process as well. So um, it, was, it was, it was kind of interesting to to sort of just do a really simple deal with someone where it's just, you, know, you don't need a 25 page just to go and do one <laughs> race. So yeah, it's all worked out, like I said, really well. And um, I'm just actually really keen to get in the car and, and see what they're like. You know, I, I've been driving with those engines before in the Eggleston cars, the Kenny Mac engines, and then to put that into another chassis, I'm just really interested to see how that's all going to pan out. So it's kind of weird having never driven the car, and the first time we will, we'll be in practice there. But yeah, um, you know, might even have to get a few of the blokes to put name tags on their shirts. <laughs> I might have to, you know, be learning a few names on the Thursday. <laughs>
3: it's lucky you'll get lots of track time this year—an extra couple of hours, I think, in, in total across the weekend to get drivers up to speed co-drivers especially which will be nice um you know, you're going to BJR and you touched on it you're going there at a really good time mate because they're in great form um and they're a team that every time there's a rule shuffle or a, a a consolidation or a change in the way the sport operates they tend to bounce right up towards the front of the field they're really nimble outfit and they seem to rebound really well when there's change in the sport we saw it when car of the future came in they were right at the front of the field Fabian Coulthard was on pole a couple of times at the mountain. And then this year with all the changes, they've been properly competitive and not just Nick Percat. Todd Hazelwood's been there. Mac has had some really strong performances as well. And Jack's obviously been getting up to speed in his car. So it feels like you're going there at a, a great time. And, and if there's ever a place where BJR is going to jag a good result, it could well be Mount Panorama.
0: Yeah. Um, and when I spoke to Brad, actually at the start of all over the Christmas period, you know, he touched on that, Krause, that, you know, they, they seem to always uh, get, you know, be at the top end of the timesheets when there is sort of a bit of drastic change. And that was sort of their prediction. And to his credit, he's he's held his end of the bargain up there yeah, and yeah. delivered some, some good competitive cars. And it's like you touch on, um, you know, there hasn't been sort of one-off flashes of brilliance this year. It's been sort of consistency... Across the, the main bowler, if you like, with per cap, but also Todd getting some great qualifiers and race results and a pole position. Uh, Maca, uh, you know, uh, uh, showing good turns of speed, but also Jack, you know, at one of the Darwins had the fastest lap of the race. So um, it is encouraging that all four cars are showing speed. And I mean, I know how hard it might be must be for Jack um, in his first year because, you know, for me, qualifying was the most difficult thing and he's been six or seven tenths off pole and he's in the 20s. So uh, I know firsthand how challenging that can be and why my co-driver career is much more profound than my main driver career, to be brutally honest with you. So If he wants some qualifying tips, they may not be coming from me. um, (laughs) It's just, you know, I'm really keen to lend my experience. I feel like I've, you know, not been there and done that if you like but um, I feel like I can definitely help someone in his role, I know what he's going through and, and I'm happy to, to to play that role for the team and um, yeah just be a part of the, the four car operation that is Brad, jo- Brad Jones Racing For many a year at Bathurst it was very much
2: a main driver and then the co-drivers were just basically there just to make sure the car got around and came back to the main driver to finish off the race in the last Half a dozen or so years, that's changed to the extent that there's been a race of two. The co-drivers are as competent as the main drivers in a lot of cases. And when they're all together, there's some really good battles. And even the co-drivers are taking it up to some of the main drivers at time. This year, though, with 16 of the 25 co-drivers having had previous V8 supercar experience, this year is a mega year when it comes to co-driver steeds.
0: It is, isn't it? It's, um, you know, for me, I guess it's been interesting watching a lot of these main game guys drop to the co-driver duties, if you like, with Garth, uh, Lounsey, Slade now, um, and James Gold in those guys. It's certainly, you know, I guess, bolstered the credentials of the co-drivers. But I still feel as though that, you know, the co-drivers have always been certainly the top sort of five or ten, that their pace has always been quite good. I mean, Mm. you know, I've been a co-driver now since around about two thousand and ten. Um, and we've always had, you know, strong co-drivers around that early year is always Paul Dumbrell for one that was quite strong, but guys like David Besnard and all those guys that have always been able to match their main guys, but there's probably a couple more of them, as you said. And the big thing um, post-race, which you don't necessarily get to see a lot of during the race, is the kind of co-driver analysis. So generally the teams will grab the 25 or 30 fastest laps the co-driver was able to produce and they rank it against the other co-drivers and then they rank it against the main drivers. And that's typically where a team owner, a Brad Jones, a Roland Dane, is going to be looking for his co-driver for the year after. And I guess why I'm touching on that is, you know, last year for me it was probably one of my best years in those ranks Mm. Bathurst, I think I was 10th or 11th. I was only looking at this the other day. Um, but we were saving fuel during the race, so our data was a bit skewed, but you go to um, stand down on the Gold Coast and we're comfortable in the top five of the co-drivers. so it gives me a bit of confidence knowing that that those numbers from last year are, um, you know it can still put you in good stead against some of those top flight co-drivers that are getting a bit more pressed this year. So it will be interesting to look at all that data after Bathurst. Um, to see who was the best of those guys because there's a couple of them knocking on the door to um, get back in the main game.
2: So with that in mind then, Jack, does that give the team so much more flexibility in regards to their planning for the day? Does it mean that there it doesn't well, have to be that sort of real focus now so much on the main driver?
0: Yeah, and it comes back to the fastest strategy is the fastest car. And then if you can have the fastest car with two of the fastest drivers, you know, the rest will just take care of itself. Um, the announcement of the safety car with people getting their lap back, that's probably going to be the biggest influence in the motor race, I think. Um, that may give cars that have a, you know, that may not have the fastest co-driver. If it's a green flag race for over 100 laps like last year, there will be cars go a lap down. And then if there's a safety cars to go, in the back half of the race, they're going to get their laps back. So I think that's going to be the biggest influence on the race this year, but you're right. Um, there'll be an opportunity where a Tim Slade or a Garth and is going to have to race against Shane van Gisbergen or Scott McLaughlin or Jamie Winkup or, you know, Will Davison and and they're going to have to hold their own. And I think out of all the names I've mentioned, they're all top class. So, yeah. um, it's going to be fascinating to watch and, um, I think, like you said, it's going to, you know, whoever's the fastest over those laps and, and stints is going to come out on, on top of the end of the day.
3: Uh, you touched on the safety car rule. That's, that's probably the biggest rule change year on year. What do you make of it?
0: Well, I've actually always been a bit of a fan of the NASCAR lucky dog type thing, um, you know, where one car yeah. gets a lap back because I think it does provide an incentive once you go a lap down the shoulders drop in the garage the pit stops get a bit lazy the drivers lose a bit of interest it is a challenging prospect not to say that you should be just given a lap back for the sake of it but but what can happen in a long green flag race like last year I think it was 101 laps before we saw a safety car it was half a chance you know you know maybe 10 cars will go a lap down so so I think it's a good thing Um, I think this year you've seen obviously the rules are to try and with tyres and things, try and mix up the results a little bit, try and keep a few more people up the front of the grid if they may not have been there and just give everyone an opportunity and that's one thing that I love about our sport, about Bathurst, is every car and every driver gets a chance to be in it but in football, there's only two teams that get to be in the grand final so yeah, uh, but I think it adds a pretty cool part of all that. It's something that we can really leverage with our sponsors and our fans is, you know, even if your favourite car and drivers had a poor season, they're still going to be there in the grand final so I think that just adds to a part of that. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. Um, it'd be disappointing, I guess, if someone, I don't know, went a lap down because they got a penalty for crashing someone off the racetrack and managed yeah, to get
2: yeah, true.
0: a lap or two back and win the race, because then it'll go down the history books as the person, you know, that got a lap back that maybe shouldn't have, but I don't think it'll pan out that way. I think it'll just help someone, you know, sort of more around the mid pack than the front.
3: Mate, um, tell us a bit about your year so far obviously the the wheels all came off the wagon at the grand prix as we all know has been well documented um are you and your family in a good place though in that you've got the farm up at Cowanji that you've been able to jump to and um which has been fantastic and um we need to touch on your branching out into youtube mate with the uh both perkins engineering which has been terrific but the little farming channel you've got going on mate what's the genesis of that
0: well i'll start by saying in in relation to the year is uh i thought about running australian government logos on my helmet this year because thanks to job keeper i've been having to press on you and me too um, but i guess i felt like i was just getting some of my tax money back from over the years <laughs> That's it. i'm digressing um yep. but yeah you're right when when sort of everything hit the roof in melbourne uh the first time uh, my family and i decided to get up to the farm uh, with a with a new baby and and just sort of uh, get out of the rat race of Melbourne um, which sort of went on for a couple of months and then when we went and raced the Sydney uh, Super 2 race we were sort of back in Melbourne um, and then obviously the, the numbers got back up and whatnot but we'd already made a decision to actually move to the farm and and sell up in Melbourne uh, so we, we moved up there just, um, just a bit more breathing space if you like and um, we were always looking at a move, but this one came a bit quicker than we thought. Um, and then given that, uh, you know, a few things haven't happened this year, racing wise and TV wise, I've been digressing and, um, you know, maximizing what we're doing with the farm work and the harvest which will be coming up, which has been good. So I've been working with dad, um, and our share farmer getting all that in and just started to think about some other ways of, uh, you know, um, our Perkins engineering Facebook page is, been such a success that yeah. we were looking at various ways um to sort of keep building on that and 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 see if we can leverage with various partners and whatnot so someone said why don't you start a youtube channel so i did um off the back actually of um i made a video of dad pull starting an engine and yes. uh, it got a million views on facebook <laughs> so i thought <laughs> if, if i could get a cent for every view i'd be pretty happy so yeah, we started you? on the youtube
2: and um <laughs> Don't you get money for like
0: that many views on
2: YouTube? Uh,
3: ultimately, you do eventually,
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, ultimately, uh, she you do. That one was Facebook, that was before ah, I started to okay. get on YouTube. So now, um, we've decided to start filming some of the silly things we do on the farm from servicing various tractors and. I, w- I wish I had someone else there to film for me because half the time Dad and I are busy fighting with each other doing something and it would make <laughs> great TV. But um, uh, that's sort of what we've been doing. So the, the YouTube channel is film is uh, Perkins Engineering. There's only two videos. I was hoping to get another video in the can before I um, had to exile out of Victoria. But um, our viewers and listeners will have to wait for the next one. probably be both Bathurst mate
3: now, uh cow angie from uh, from mine i reckon it's about four and a half hours just across the border so i would be more than happy to come and film you and your dad arguing all right that'd be great television
0: <laughs> yeah well i might take you up on that crowley when these borders open because yep. at the moment i can only get 40 kilometers into south australia so um when these borders open i'll take you up on that yeah,
2: absolutely look yeah uh, the great thing is too it's not just where you guys live now it's also the birthplace of dad and there's a big sign at the front of the town that tells people that as they drive through, is it any truth to the rumor that they're replacing the sign?
0: Yeah, I can confirm that. Cause I did it myself. When you,
3: <laughs> it's a big room when you've got to replace was... <laughs> your own sign, surely.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I must admit um, the, the sort of the homestead there uh, is run by um, the old CWA ladies And they approached me to see if we could update the faded signs. And, um, my, my dad doesn't really like the sign because it's, you know, it's about him and he doesn't, you know, doesn't like the notoriety if you like, but the community like it and the signs that were there were really, really faded about 15 years old. So I said to them that I'd be happy to, you know, leverage against some of the motorsport community to make it a bit more cost effective and make it happen. So, um, Thanks to Creative Options uh, in in Melbourne and Benny Grice from Bang Signs, we were able to uh, get a couple of new signs made, and we got them up on the highway. And the old ones we're going to um, auction off on the Bathurst week. Um, the community wanted to get the money back for the signs, which was only six hundred bucks, I think, in the end, which was quite cheap. Um, mm-hmm. And then possibly donate the rest to some community-based charity that we haven't um decided on yet so it'd be quite cool to to first of all update the signs like we have at at no cost to the community and then see if we can get some money on top of that to um you know do something for the local community or for a charity that helps people within the community so um like i said dad doesn't like the sign but everyone else does and it's kind of cool (laughs) to have a new one up there and we've got a couple while the car's up there and, and thanks to Castro and V8 Sleuth for the, for the photos um, so thanks to all those guys in the most cool community that helped make it happen for us That's awesome, fantastic, fantastic stuff Hey Jack, uh, as we say goodbye to you we're going to come on with myself,
2: Krause Mark Walker and Dale Rogers and talk about our top five Bathurst drives so uh, drives that we've seen over the time and what we think may be the best I'm going to just try and get one off the top of your head what's the best Bathurst drive you've ever seen?
0: Well, you've got me on the top of my head, but I'm going to give you two. The first one, it's pretty hard to go past dad, 95, last to first, Bathurst. Now, I've got a story with that
2: because that's in my top yeah. five. But unfortunately, it's tied with another first to last, which is, of course, Mostert and the dude. Uh, okay. And now they actually did start last, whereas your dad started third but went to last after the touch-up with Lance. So I'm really tossing up as to whether they get the spot or whether your dad should.
0: Yeah, if you watch the 95 race, though, they do go a lap down there at one stage. So I think, you know, there's no lucky dog. They didn't get given that lap back. <laughs> no, so that's a, maybe a more genuine last to first. But the other one that I want to touch on, and it's important to me because I reckon it goes unnoticed a lot, it's Greg Hansford's drive in 1993. To, to put it into perspective, um, he was a part-time co-driver and their opposition was two full-timers in Scaife and Jim Richards. Yeah. And uh, for him to hold his end of the bargain up, I think it's um, you know worth mentioning that that's a pretty awesome drive. Obviously dad did his bit too that day, but you know, a part-time motorcycle rider to, 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 to do what he did in 93 is pretty cool.
3: What about yourself, Jacko? Um, obviously podium last year is amazing, but was there a better moment or a better stint than what happened last year than for you personally?
0: Yeah, I feel like all my good drives up there came without a decent result to be fair. Um, uh. In 2013, I remember driving the Scott McLaughlin. We we managed to pass Paul dumbrell in the Red Bull car. Yep. Um, that and that I don't know for some reason we finished a long way behind them that day. So I remember you know racing him hard and getting the job done there. So that that to me rings a bell. 2014, making the shootout and being fifth with 25 laps to go just to get a drive through was disappointing. Um. But yeah, mate, I think, I, I think I'm think i starting 15 starts this year and um, I'm just grateful to, to have been on the grid for the first one and, and have done them all as a type 1 diabetic since then. So hopefully this year's drive will, will be as good as last year's and then there's an opportunity to do it again in 2021.
2: Yeah, fantastic stuff, mate. We thank you so much for your time, Jack. Enjoy the rest of your our time the next couple of days in isolation before you make your way up to the mountain. We hope that it's a magnificent week for you and the team. Good stuff, boys. Thanks for having me on. Mark Walker and Dale Rogers from the Racetalk.com. Hello, boys.
3: hi Dixon
2: Krause and Mark, how are you? I'm good. How are you?
3: lot this is difficult. Boys, we've got the team together. I like you it. I've
2: got the team together. The last time we did this, we had the amazing topic which went so well in discussion, not just here but outside of this as well, as to what was our favorite supercar effectively i think that was the topic wasn't
3: it Well, oh, it's the favorite i think favorite, australian, a favorite australian, made, no, australian favorite australian made no australian favorite made racing car, car.
2: yeah yeah because so i've decided, Elfin in there. We've decided to reprise that mm. in the guise of your favorite bathurst driver. your top five favorite bathurst drives and i'm sure i speak on behalf of all of us gentlemen that this has been a pretty tough gig, this
3: one. <laughs> it has. I've turned it into a full time gig. I'm sorry for suggesting this, um, but it turns out it's it's unearthed some very cool drives. And we we floated it with Jack Perkins just before, uh, and obviously he went went ninety five. Great race with his old man. But I really liked him talking about Greg Hansford's drive yes. in the ninety three race, which is often forgotten amongst that battle that they had with uh, Gibson Motorsport. I I really liked that. So that was really well brought out. Yeah. So what what we wanted to do was capture a moment at one particular effort from any given driver in the history of the great race from 63 onwards. Um, We're not counting the Phillip Island races because Gary O'Brien's not on the show and he wasn't there. So um, yeah, we wanted to capture a really impressive moment, but for mine, it doesn't need to be one of the famous moments. It can be something personal that you witnessed, that you love something yeah. that happened with a driver you had a relationship with or a friendship with whatever it might be. So I'm really excited to see what comes out of this before we dive into it, boys, I floated this on the race talks, Twitter account earlier today, and it's the most replied to uh, Twitter question since we floated wow. the favorite Australian made racing car one a couple of months ago. So we got a lot of Bathurst 95 was a, was a big one. And i think it's going to feature again in this conversation. Um, Brock's drive in 79 was a big one. Uh, our buddy Chad Naylon picked two. Jamie Winkup in the early stages of 2014 when he blitzed his way through the field, which is legit. Uh, Warren Luff's great drive in the rain in 17, he mentioned. Um, both fair. Um, Damien Bryan mentioned Brock in 87 in the VL in the rain. Uh, haven't seen any mention um Glenn Seaton in 87 in the turbocharged DR30, but that's got to be up there too. Um, Shane B mentioned Brad Jones triple stint in 94, which is um, a fair point given that performance is probably forgotten amongst the Craig Lowndes hype that year. Dick Johnson, 1980, the list goes on and on. So we had some terrific replies. Keep them coming at the race talk. Um, We'll post this up on Facebook when the podcast goes live too. We'd love to hear people's feedback and what they thought and how it compares what... Uh, us four muppets have come up with so, um, Shabeks. I think you're the you're the host, mate. You should probably kick this off at number five.
2: All right. Well, and just before we start, to show you how diverse I think this is going to be, when we were discussing on our on uh, our <laughs> chat form between the four of us as to what eras or eras we had selected, There's I started off of by errors. saying I had three from the seventies and two from the two thousands. Mark then said none from the sixties, seventies, or eighties. Richard came up with one from the 80s, one from the 90s, and three of about 10 undecided. And Dale went three from the 70s, one from the 80s, and multiple choices from the 2000s. So I think we're going to have a very diverse group of drives here.
3: I like it. I like it. Kick, us, kick us off, mate.
2: Off. Dale, do you want to kick us off with your number five? Yes, Chevex, I will. And it was just mentioned a moment ago, but uh, this is
4: one of, it's been my, one of the great drives, 987. Uh, a very, very wet World Touring Car Championship race at Bathurst, the one and only one, where the Eggenberger cars came and dominated, then were all disqualified. And there was a young bloke in a Nissan uh, in a wet race who displayed sprint uh, car-style-esque across the top of the mount and the race cam set the TV sets alight. It was an extraordinary drive from Glenn Seaton in the Peter Jackson Nissan, who... Uh, eventually wound up second in the race uh, in the adjusted results. But his his prowess in the wet was something I still watch to this day and you just, you can't believe what he's doing. Through Reed Park, full opposite lock, and he never lifted off. And uh, it was just a brilliant bit of driving from a young guy who wasn't fearing the conditions. One of the great path of stories for mine.
1: Fantastic. Mark Walker, your fifth. Right, well, hang on. I'm going to start here with... The process of elimination to get to this five and i'm <laughs> probably not very happy with the five so uh, for me it's so hard to compare the eras because it's yeah. apples and oranges how the race. race how the race used to be back in the olden days waving some inverted commas around with my hands there it, it was a battle against yourself more than the competition there weren't all these big battles it was bringing the car home in one piece it was racing yourself against the clock I know you three lads have probably all got uh, Ped Brock 79 as your number one. But f- for mine, he was the only car in that race. He, he won it by six laps because everyone else fell out.
3: It's not the even guy... my five.
1: Not even Ralf... your five.
3: No, I didn't even make my shortlist.
1: Ralph Redburn finished third and he was eight laps behind the pace. And, and you look at the thing in qualifying. He qualified at a 26.8. They had the shootout. They got two runs at the clock. He did a two-minute 20.5, which was two seconds faster than the field. And even with two runs in the top 10 shootout, there's still 10 seconds covering the field. There was no competition in the race. And of course, he was going to win it by six laps. And he was out there showboating and blasted out a a fastest lap on the last lap just to show that he was capable. Of course, he was capable. I think it was a rocket ship. Anyway, so that didn't make my top five. So um, the, the other thing that... The I, list I, I, of car- the list
3: of drives that didn't make the top five could be an entire show. that's
1: yeah. oh, <laughs> just next and I, and I didn't include anyone who didn't win. I mean, if uh, the greatest drives of all time, mm. uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't include any winners. I mean, you, you said Jamie Wink up in two thousand fourteen before. That's all fine and well, but then he well, let the side down. He, he should have won it. He <laughs> yeah. absolutely should have won it. You can yeah. drive fast and conserve fuel, and he did not. He did his own thing and lost the race anyway. That's a story for another day. My number five, five.
2: Larry
1: Larry Perkins, nineteen ninety five, had the contact with Craig Lowndes getting away from the start, limped into the pits, went a lap down after that, changing that flat tire. Uh, Amazingly, he managed to work his way back without some sort of free pass mechanism that they have to install this year to sort of help those poor poor people who fall a lap behind. So he made made under the lead lap. Uh, Obviously, the safety car late in the race lap. 128-ish. Uh, it was actually a Larry-built car. David Parsons smashed it into the fence at Griffiths Bend. Uh, that sort of packed it up a bit, but he still had to get past Alan Jones, Wayne Gardner, and obviously outlasted Glenn Seton and the run to the line. Uh, Russell Ingall did his part too, but uh, he got very much chatted for talking on race cam and losing a lot of time while doing that, and he was never allowed to talk on race cam ever again after that. So uh, for mine, number five, Larry Perkins, 1995.
2: I was going to go to you next, Richard, but I might just jump in because my number five was a dead heat. So the fact that you have picked the 95 Larry Perkins and Russell Engel makes my life a lot easier because I had to choose between them and also the last to first finish of Moston and Morris in their race in 2014. I was going to go for Moston and Morris anyway, even though Jack Perkins tried to convince me that I shouldn't.
3: Yeah, true story. So
2: (laughs) the fact that you picked The Perkins and Ingle car, I think it's fantastic because that lets me off the hook. Number five for me, the FG Falcon, the Pepsi Max, Chas Mostert, Paul Morris, qualified 14th in the race, but of course excluded due to a a passing under red flag in qualifying. So to the back of the grid, a literal last to first win for them. Uh, Yeah. And uh, that was my number five.
3: Like it like it a lot well i am going for a couple that didn't win the race because i think that great drives need to be put in context and that's fair and can um i'm not having a shot come down um uh and and great drives can happen behind the scenes and and i thought this one was going to be a 2007 great race competitor um but i couldn't decide who i wanted it to be and in the end i i basically tossed a coin. It was going to be Stevie J, because I thought his drive at the end, a massively underrated touring car driver, I think in the end, Steven Johnson, and his performance in the rain at the end, dicing with Craig Lowndes, who at the time was at the peak of his very considerable powers um, in a triple eight car was an awesome drive. But in the end, I've actually gone for one that was under the radar. And I remember standing there watching this at the time and thinking, what an impressive effort. And it was a car that finished fifth in the end. And it was Alan Simonson's performance in the rain at the end of that race in the second T8 car, because he was an international driver who had a great reputation here in GT cars. He had a couple of 1,000 starts before it, but never had really shone. But when it rained, um, he was electrifying and was easily as fast as the leaders, including his teammate, Craig Lowndes in the lead triple eight car. And he was passing guys around the outside of Griffin's Bend in these wet conditions. He came alive. And I remember Having worked with Alan in Australian GT to that point, watching that going bloody hell, if there was ever needed to be proof that this guy was good, um, there was proof again of what he was doing in that car in those conditions at the time. So that just stood out for me. It popped. It could have been anyone in that race. It could have easily been Craig Lowndes because what he did at the end there was extraordinary as well. So, but I've gone for that one because of the, the sentimental reasons, I suppose, for, for that race in that year and uh, that driver. Dale?
2: Uh, am I right in saying that Ludo was the engineer for that car as well? I probably was. So I couldn't tell no, you. No, he
4: was the engineer for the Xbox car. Was he?
2: Okay. Driver. Yeah, the Xbox Commodore. Yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, wild card.
3: That wasn't 2007 though. No. <laughs> no. Anyway, number four.
2: <laughs> number four. Uh, Dale. Mark, we'll start with you.
1: Oh, we're not going around the table?
2: No, no, we'll, we'll okay. throw it around. Mix it up.
1: All right. So my number four is... 2010 Craig Lowndes. Uh, I'm sure you lads have probably got all, what? Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> so that race, uh, they qualified second. Uh, it was him and Scafie driving. Scafie popped a rib, pulled up injured, couldn't go on. Lowndes, had to do the last 79 laps by himself with no help. Triple stinted it to bring it home. Uh, I mean, I'm sure no doubt you guys are going to bring up Brock 72 and, and things like that where yeah see I've, i'm buggering it for everyone here but in, in those cases you know they had to do 800k solo but it was 20 percent slower than what Lowndes had to do it at like Lowndes had to bash out quick laps all afternoon there for three hours driving straight uh which i reckon was a pretty awesome deal also had to lead home a sprint to the finish after will davo bent his hrt car up the top of the hill so let home a triple eight one two which was impressive but um Lancey said afterwards that it was his toughest ever race at Bathurst, and 79 straight laps in the heat of the day—that was uh, really impressive. It was a race record at the time, and Lancey got that back in 2018. So I reckon that was a pretty good deal there. Number four, Craig Louns, 2010.
3: Well, I'll jump in there, Shebex, because I had that—I had that moment at number four as well. Same deal, same reasons. Right. Um, I just remember watching that unfold on the day, and just. It just added another chapter to the Lounge legend that he'd carry the thing literally on his own back after Scafies failed. So terrific performance. And that was number four for mine as well.
4: Dale Hello. Number four. Uh, I love privateers at Bathurst. Uh, I've always thought they have been the, the backbone of the race for so long up against factories. And there was a privateer in 1974 who I believe his acceptance speech was almost as long as the race. It
1: hasn't <laughs> finished the
4: great, yet. The great John Goss. Um Gossie almost won the thing in 73 when it went to a thousand k's with KB. They went back in 74 with the McLeod Ford XA Falcon. Uh, qualified third, uh, Moffat had brought the uh, Brute 33 $150,000 USA special to the mountain, which failed um, and of course HRT, the Holden Deal team arrived with their two SLR 5000s amongst other cars so the chance of a Ford winning were very slim on the day, the only other car in the field for the Fords was Murray Carter um, Goss was qualified third, uh, dropped well back at the start uh, car had problems during the morning uh, he, he, he nursed effectively nursed it back uh, to be in touch with the, the two um, HR, HDT Tiranas, who then suffered massive oil surge problems. But it became very wet, seriously wet. And uh, Gossie uh, ran off at McPhilamy, ripped a, a tyre off. And, you know, it's one of, those, one of those instances. Managed to get the car off the mountain, ran the whole way down Conrad Strait with the wheel in the dirt, which was good thinking. Ne- never got it on the pavement, crossed, on, crossed it to, into the pits. Moff was there with his uh, with his Goodyear tyres to put on because the Bridgestones weren't very good. And Gossie and KB went on to what was one of the, I reckon, one of the great privateer victories. And, and a drive, he, he never really was out of it, but yet had to nurse the car in the first couple of hours to actually bring himself back into play. So for mine, just one of the great privateer stories on the mountain, Gossie and KB, 74.
2: And for mine, number four, you've got to put in what was probably one of the most dominant performances in Bathurst history, and that was the 79 win of Brock and Jim Richards, winning by six laps and the like in the, uh, in the Tirana. New lap record, as you mentioned before, Mark, of uh, 2.22.11 on the final lap. But for me, and you know my affinity and my love of the Tirana, it was the first car that my family had and all that sort of stuff. So it was the first car that I can remember. It was the last time that Tirana raced at the Bathurst 1000. Of course, the Commodore came in 1980. So for me, there was just that little bit of emotional attachment to that drive by both of those guys. So the 79 Bathurst, for me, of Brock and Richards. Mm. Number three, Richard.
3: Right. I am going to enjoy this one. Um, For all the talk about Brock and being dominant at Mount Panorama, there were very few situations where he went there in the 70s and 80s where he wasn't. And he wasn't in a car that he could win with and i love his drive in 1985 in the vk commodore that was outclassed by the twr jags wasn't as fast just scraped into the shootout in fact there was an 11 car shootout so qualified at the very back of that um and then the well-documented dramas towards the end of the race with the front windscreen failing and then the steward saying that a car without a front screen couldn't have a real one either so you had the mechanic swinging off the roll bar to fly, kick it out of the car and Mike Raymond with no front screen, no rear screen, air conditioning, Bathurst style. And I think that drive did more for Brock's legacy or as much for Brock's legacy as a great of touring car racing in the world than his dominant victories did. Cause he was always in the great car, but that year he wasn't. And he got within two laps of potentially probably wouldn't have hunted down the TWR Jag, but certainly to finish second against those cars would have been enormous um, one of the great, great drives in Bathurst history. So that sits at number three for me. Um, I love the fable that's been built up around it until that uh, single row timing, trail in, in the uh, five-litre Holden V8 failed at the very end uh, of what would have been an incredible podium for the great man. So Brock, 85 Bathurst in the James Hardy for mine
2: at three. Beautiful stuff. Uh, my number three goes to a guy who was one of the very few guys who actually won the race on Deboe at the mountain, driving with uh, Alan Moffat, who I think was going for either his third or his fourth win at the time in 1997 in the XC Falcon. Jackie X, who, of course, came over, the Belgium driver, uh, more known for his open-wheel driving through Formula One and also... Very uh, numerous starts at the 24-hour Le Mans, probably at least a dozen, if not more, and uh, did finish first in half a dozen of those races at Le Mans as well. So to arrive at Bathurst for your very, very first start, uh, a, 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 a beautiful driver, there's no doubt about it. He could drive, but Bathurst, as we know, is a totally different beast. And to jump into a, an XC Falcon, of which the like of he'd probably never seen before, in his life as a racing car to be a part of that finish with Moffat to the extent that Dale, correct me if I'm wrong, Moffat had brake dramas in the last few laps due to the fact that Jackie had been driving that car so hard that had it not have been a one, two for that team at the time, Moffat may not have won the race.
4: Yeah, that's right. Tony, the car was, was, was wounded uh, and bonds was in pretty good shape. Uh, bond would have won the race by a lap. Um, but sat back, did the right thing. And, uh, you know, it's probably... It, I know one-twos have been done since then, but it's the most famous one-two by a mile.
2: Oh, without a doubt. And the most famous finish at Bathurst, I think, uh, picturesque-wise, in the way that it was captured at the time as well from the uh, the helicopter above. So, for me, that's my number three, Jackie X and his drive with Alan Moffat in the XC Falcon at 77 Bathurst. Dale? Hello.
4: Yeah, I love cars at Bathurst that um, have something hanging off them like beer cartons in 1971 um, towards the end of the solo drive year as uh, Alan Moffat drove the Ford Motor Company the Fumaco GTHO phase three uh, to an out a a ripper win in uh, in in fact the GTHOs were the car of the year and then they'd finally got rid of all the problems and they were fantastic picked up a a uh, box of uh, beer, VB, from, if my memory serves me correctly, and we pounded round <laughs> pounded round for uh, for many, many laps with this box hanging off. Um, and the guys in the pits, of course, no telemetry or anything, so uh, they were worried about it. And all they did was they stopped him a little bit early and just checked some water temp and oil temp. Everything was fine. Off he went. Never, less, never lost the lead. Yeah, I know it was a dominant victory, but uh, it, I think it was the era where, where uh, Moffat really came to his own at Bathurst. He owned Bathurst at that stage. Brocky really wasn't up to speed at that point. That came in 72 and onwards. But thinking about when you look at those cars, solo drive, six and a half, seven hours, whatever it was, on effectively a standard seat with a bit of padding taped on it and a, and a pretty crappy harness, um, and you don't get out of the car. So um, I, th- I thought those, those last, those guys, because they were brutes of cars. They weren't, you know, they weren't small cars. and They weren't slow cars. They were pulling 170 miles an hour down Conrad. Uh, so for mine, 71, great race um, and a great victory for Moffat, off. Probably his best.
2: Mark, you're number
1: three. Bex, I've gone like you and an import, not a Australia, not a Kiwi, a Swede. Ricard Rydell, super-touring Bathurst, 1998 in the Volvo S40. Absolutely smoked it to pole with a 14.9 and a two-litre car. like that was ridiculously quick. I rate that as an all-time top shootout lap. Uh, it was one and a half seconds fast in the field. Absolute cracker. Uh, race day itself, it was a battle between uh, Ricard Rydell, Jim Richards in the Volvo, and Matt Neal and uh, Stephen Richards in the Nissan Primera. Those two just swap positions at the front of the field all day long. Uh, at the end of the day, it wound up being a 17-lap sprint to the finish. Uh, he was chased all the way home by Matt Neal. He was the only car in the 17-second bracket on race day, and he achieved that on lap 153, and he wound up winning the race by two seconds. It was an absolute cracker, brilliant drive. Rickard Rydell, number three for mine.
2: A funny, fun fact for you, outside of Australia New Zealand, Canada, is the only other country that has produced a multiple winner of Bathurst in Alan Moffat. All other winners from other countries have only been one of. Hmm. Fun fact. Fun Hmm. fact. There you go. A lot Uh, of them
4: never get invited back, Tony.
2: Exactly right. Uh, Number two, Dale.
4: Uh, Yeah, look, I have gone uh, 79 Bathurst with Brock. Uh, I know there's a a lot of feeling about it it was a one-car race, but... Um, he he never he never missed the thing. He, he was he he won by six laps, which is he won by forty kilometres. You know he's halfway up the highway back to uh, Sydney. Two twenty one point one on the last lap, six lap victory. Uh, Seventy entries on that race, sixty eight of them started, and twenty eight were classified. So the attrition rate was high. Amongst the attrition rate was all, were all the Fords uh, of any note. Uh, so it was a Holden domination, and yeah, as Mark mentioned, there was daylight second, and, and there wasn't a lot of competition. Second, Gricey, I think, was the was the best of the, you know, the the the, the real guys. But for mine, it, it was just a demonstration of of total dominance, uh, confidence in a vehicle, confidence in a co-driver, uh, and just and and he passed seven cars on the last lap. So for mine, yeah, just one of the great drivers. I, I can't fault you could not fault Peter Brock at his best, and that for mine was one of them.
2: I'd love to ask Jim Richards a question. I'm sure he's been asked it before, but does he feel, does he feel undervalued in that drive? Oh, I don't think so.
3: No, I've I asked, I have asked that. You haven't? What was his answer, Richard? No, he, he did exactly what he was there to do, which yeah. was to give Brock a car to get to the end. Yeah. He Jim just played his role exactly as he was required to do, but that's Jim. Like That's his personality. Yeah. Um, it, it's not about Jim Richards. It's about, it's about the team and the greater whole and, and doing the team job. Yeah. I, I had the amazing fortune to chat to Jimmy and, and Steven at a, a charity night we did for laser plumbing and electrical a couple of years ago. And I asked him that question. So it's all about Brock, isn't it? it was, but, but that's what the team was. Yeah. It was his race team. So it was all about him and I was there just to do a job. So, yeah. and that's what makes Jim Richard such a great human being and a, a champion race car driver.
2: Why well, do you have the microphone, my friend number two, please.
3: Right. So, it, that we, we didn't lay down any criteria in this, which is great. So it doesn't necessarily mean that a great drive has to occur in the race. And I'm sure none of my colleagues but will on agree. on the way
4: from Sydney out on the <laughs>
2: track, Oh, there's been some <laughs> moments. Bells <laughs> line broke. Um, or, or missing a kangaroo heading to the oh, track first thing in the morning.
3: Stop it. Oh. Yes, there's, there's been some dramas. But I'm sure my colleagues will agree that at Mount Panorama, there is nothing more impressive than an on-the-edge top-ten shootout lap for a driver. It is the pinnacle of our sport,
2: yep. that
3: moment on a Saturday afternoon when a driver and a race car is all alone on that place and they get to try and just go as hard as they can to qualify and pole. And on that basis, I, I couldn't look past Greg Murphy in 2003. The, the, the shootout, yes, of course, but the performance in the race, well, they were dominant that day. They crushed the field. Um, They won by eight seconds or so, a lot of green flag running towards the end, but they only, um, they didn't lead, I think, eight of the last 61 laps of that race. So they were in control the whole day, but that shootout lap was impressive. And and the lap time was one thing, but the, the biggest thing that grabbed me about it was how far it moved the goalposts because Murph earlier in the weekend had smacked out his 7.95, which to the point was the quickest lap by a touring car ever at Mount Panorama. And in fact, one of the fastest ever laps at Mount Panorama by anything um, toppling that Neil Allen's lap in the F5,000 in the seventies, John Bowers 7.95 in the shootout was an incredible lap time, but Murph goes 1.1 seconds faster. It moved the goalposts out of the park and into a completely different stadium. It was a ridiculous time. It will stand up for a very, very long time as the greatest single lap, I think, in Bathurst history and deserves a place in this list. So for mine, it's number two.
2: I had toyed between either the, that or, uh, or Scotty Mack's mm. record-breaking run. but uh, I, yeah, I had that same argument. Well I had done, the, I had well the done. same argument. And I yeah. think
3: just Murphy moved the game so much further forward. Yeah,
2: no, mm. fair enough too. Uh, my number two goes to the 1976 version of the Hardy Ferrado 1000. And I can tell you that the drive wasn't that of either Jack Brabham or Sterling Moss.
3: No. They
2: won't be included in the best drives of that era, but it goes to John Fitzpatrick and his final few laps uh, driving with Bob Morris in that Tirana, two minutes ahead with a few laps to go. And then all of a sudden the EPA considered taking the car out of the race due to the amount of smoke that it was blowing and what it was going to do to the ozone layer. Uh, (laughs) Colin Bond absolutely flying behind them. And for John Morris, the drama back in the pits and the the cutaways back to Bob Morris and in tears because it looked like they were going to lose what was going to be the unlosable. And for Fitzpatrick to bring that car home, absolute limp, more so than me after 15 beers. Uh, Well, it was a great effort. By John Fitzpatrick. We've lost, we've lost Richard. Richard's out. He's gone. That race.
4: Hey, Tony, you've got to add one more thing to that. Yeah. It's the race that is still in dispute whether they won or not. Because the Holden dealer team yeah. lap charts say that Bond was a lap in front to this yeah. day. And they, ought, they never match the ADC's lap charts. However, the RDC's lap charts are the official ones. But uh, yeah, it was a great race. It was an yeah, awesome. It was a
2: great race.
4: My
3: number two, uh, Mark. Be, hang on. Shabeki. I've had 15 beers with you. It's not a piece of, of information I needed to hear.
2: Well, now you know. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a piece of information that I was actually willing to share. It just no, came there out. there you
1: go. <laughs> it's been a long lockdown. Uh, number Two for me, Shebeck's mentioned it earlier on there. Uh, for mine, I'm actually writing in my diary about this at the moment. My psychiatrist isn't terribly impressed. So expect to see this on the race talk sometime in the next couple of weeks. Mm. But it is all about overcoming adversity. It might not technically be the best drive of all time, but uh, 2014 Chas Mostert, uh, like you mentioned, Shebeck, started last. He had to overcome that. He had to overcome Paul Morris at the end of his career, who frankly wasn't as fast as uh, Paul Morris used to be. He also had to overcome Paul Morris fencing the car twice, uh, had to overcome the damage to, like the car wouldn't be tracking straight. It wouldn't have been a pretty car to drive. Uh, so it was last, once again, after 46 laps, uh, got it to the top three on lap 118, splash and dash 150, restarted fourth. Uh, obviously, Lounsey took out Frosty and then Wing Cup took himself out. But uh, he put the pressure on Wincup to make him run out of gas, which uh, I think was the thing that got him across the line there. But yep. um, he didn't get caught up in any of the shenanigans of the day. Like, everyone else crashed for a variety of reasons. But uh, Chaz just drove a, a cracking race there, and for mine, number two. And I must say, for
2: myself and Richard, and I, I hope I'm not speaking <laughs> on your behalf, Richard, probably the most memorable piece of commentary (laughs) that we will ever be involved with (laughs) that final lap Mm. of that Bathurst, Richard and I are calling it for SEN back in Melbourne, Brett Murray Crusher was with us as special comments. He'd had a thousand dollars is my understanding on that mob at a hundred to one to win the race and how he did not swear Well, in that two minutes, 11 of that final lap is beyond me.
3: He was standing in the middle of a Shebex and I distinctly remember both of us having a hand on each of his shoulders, (laughs) ready to yank him away. So it pulled the headset off his head in case He dropped a certain profanity, which at no point should be aired on commercial radio. And in fact, you would hesitate to use on a podcast. Um, Yeah, remarkable, remarkable motor race. That day, 2014, just, oh. It for me. Yeah.
2: It, it certainly was. Uh, that's everyone with number twos, isn't it? Yes. Yep. So we go to number one. Uh, let's go from the top of my screen. I'll start with you, Richard.
3: Well, my my number one has been mentioned before, and it's LP in 95. Um, and for an impressionable young bloke sitting on the floor of uh, the family room at my folks' house in Lindock um, as a diehard Holden fan. And having watched both HRT cars fail abysmally within the first 30 laps and let the side down immensely, um, all your hopes, and, and I wasn't a Mark Gay fan, so I certainly wasn't cheering for the Wingfield car, um, all my hopes sat on Larry Perkins and they were at a point a lap down. So watching LP at the end of that race for an impressionable young bloke with a passion for the sport was, was unbelievably good. And um, we've talked about it on this show before the moment when he passed Alan Jones down Conrod straight and the crowd went bananas and Mike Raymond went bananas. And it was just, that's one of the seminal moments in my personal love affair with the great race. So LP and a 95 miraculous stuff. One of the great cars, one of the great drivers. Um, That's my number one. Simple as that.
2: Uh, I'm next on my screen. So my number one, goes to only the second race that I ever saw live at Bathurst, remembering that I'd never been to Bathurst before I started covering it for for a SEN. So it goes to the 2006 Bathurst win of Lowndes and Win Cup and the emotion built around that whole race with the death of Peter Brock, obviously, just uh, not too long before the actual race, the build-up, the shock of everyone heading into it, the emotion of the fans, the signing of the car, uh, at the entrance to Bathurst when you walk in through the gates, all that sort of stuff took us to what was going to be a, a, a memorable and amazing race. The car of Lowndes and win Cup, Jamie Wincup's first win at Bathurst, Craig Lowndes' second win 10 years after his first. It was a lot of firsts, actually, in that race to the extent that not only was it win Cup's first win, but it was the first win for Ford since 1998. So there'd been an eight-year spell, a dry spell for Ford And also the first win for Triple Eight at Bathurst as well, who had been trying to win the race for around about 10 years or so. Rick and Todd Kelly tried as hard as they could to spoil the party, but finished off half a second off the lead. And it was the the finish where Lowndes crosses the line and they go straight to the in-car camera. And as soon as he lifts up that visor, There was so many tears in his eyes that it was impossible for those tears to formulate from the minute he'd crossed the line. So I believe that he'd probably been driving maybe even the last half of that lap with that emotion and tear of what was going to be an amazing win and took it over the line with him. A, A fantastic finish, a great story to end what was an amazing career for Peter Brock and put a full stop to that career at Bathurst with Lowndes winning that first Peter Brock trophy the emotion of that just carries me over the line as it being the best win uh, the best drive at Bathurst
1: good one Mm.
2: Mark you're next
1: uh i'm right with you there shebex uh, 2006 craig Lowndes, bathurst 1000
2: i apologize right. for stealing your thunder my friend no no
1: no look i'm here to add to what you had to say uh it was just the emotion attached to it wasn't it and i mean yeah. the other thing that weekend too we had mark porter on life support and hospital i Correct, mean it's exactly. been a tough weekend wild race you had radisic in the fence and you didn't know how well he was that was an awful awful shunt so it was a, a tough weekend uh you mentioned the the margin there at the end half a second uh, Craig back to Rick Kelly, uh, the brothers Kelly, they lost Bathurst in Sandown by less than a second that year because uh, Bridie won the Sandown 500 by two tenths of a second. Yeah. So that was amazing. Uh, those top two, they set their fastest lap on lap 158. And they would have kept going faster except for the Jason Richards was parked across the track at the top of the mountain, which uh, had the yellow flags out there. They finished the race uh, under local yellows rather than finishing it off with a safety car so that was uh big and the other thing to think too those two guys were racing for the title that year and that all came to a head at phillip island a little bit later on so uh, yeah mad race given the circumstances you know lancy driving the Tirana and race morning like he, he wasn't he wasn't sure if he could start it or not it was such a tough day and uh the emotion attached to it it might not technically be the best drive of all time but uh for all the other factors, uh, I'll put that in there at number one.
2: Dale, wrap us up,
1: my friend.
4: Yes, uh, my my Bathurst, uh my no one Bathurst story started actually on the eighth of September, uh, in two thousand and six, when I was at the MCG watching my beloved Demons beat St Kilda in a uh, final, and the Holden Blimp came across eerily across the MCG um, with the oh, mess- I remember that. with the message RIP Peter Brock on it. Yeah. Um, and it was an extraordinary feeling in the stand And whether you were a race fan or not, didn't matter. Exactly four weeks later, Craig Lowndes um, stood on the grid next to the uh, 28 XU1 in the morning in tears. Bev came up and hugged him. Roland Dane had spoken to him about whether he could start or not, because he was going to put Wink up in the car. Winko completely untried in the AAA car. And, and time they weren't trying to win it for a year. This was their first go after 10 years. Um, and really, the the the... He decided to get in the car and it was, it was his decision to drive. It probably would have been even more sensible to put wink cup in as, as Craig was clearly upset. He drove a brilliant race, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, the guys have, you've, you've covered off the issues. Um, but I just, uh, the, the day was extraordinary to be on the grid on that, that morning, um, it's still I see photos of it. I was researching today. It still sends shivers down your spine of just what yeah, that was yeah. all about. It was an extraordinary morning. And, you know, the, the, the whole of the grid was just almost was a blubbering mess in 20 minutes or an hour before the greatest race in Australia. So uh, he just did an enormous job to, to hold off the Kellys, as Mark said, by 0.5 a second, as Tone said as well, and to raise the Peter Brock trophy uh, for the mm. very, very first time. Mm. Um, its It just, it, it, there are no more boxes to tick for mine. That, that was the greatest baptist that I've ever seen.
2: There you go. Oh, Three man. of us agree on the number one. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that was extraordinary, wasn't it? I that feel is... like
3: I've let the side down here.
2: <laughs> you, have, you, you, you have time now to reconsider.
3: No, no, no. I'm not going to change my mind. I, it was absolutely in my extensive shortlist, and it'd be number six on mine if I had to give it a position. But um, yeah, no, it's hard to disagree with with any of those. Interesting to note: out of twenty drives, in particular, um, only four were doubled up or in that case tripled up. So the variety is sensational. And, and that's yeah. what's so great about the great race is that it's a very personal thing and um, everyone takes something different out of it and, and different moments resonate with different people, which I think is just part of the appeal and the, the ongoing appeal of that place. So yeah, very, very cool guys. This was a great experiment and um, yeah, a cool way to kick off our preparations for the great race next week.
2: I think what I'm proud of is the fact that i got three, the same as Mark Walker. <laughs> You're a oh, good yeah. man, Jeez, I've oh, always yeah. said you're a good oh, yeah. judge. What that's I'm not...
4: stunned about, Tony, from you, is mm. that it's a
2: forward at number one on your list. Yeah. Now, that's
4: got to be a first.
2: Oh, uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm mellowed in my <laughs> old age, Dale.
3: I enjoyed some of yours, Dale, as well. I, uh, the Gossy 74 was a yeah, really nice. good one. That was
2: That was outstanding. Nice. Hey, and we'd love to hear yeah, your thoughts yeah. as well. Jump on the talk.com, all our socials and give us your thoughts. Uh, we'll put a story on this. There'll be a story definitely on the website. And uh, of course you've just heard it on the podcast as well. So we'd love your thoughts to you agree with us. Is there any you'd like to add? Whack them on and uh, we'll have a chat about them at another time. Big show coming up next week, boys. It is our big Bathurst preview. Mark, we're going to hear from you uh, and your chat with Craig Lowndes next week because i think uh that'll give us a great lead-in to what promises to be a, an amazing bathurst week it's a big week for us actually because not only will we have our special Bathurst preview week but richard i think we might even be doing something uh facebook live-ish
3: yep fingers crossed <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's
2: the plan well, I hope, richard we hope to be doing something we facebook hope to live-ish. be doing
3: something facebook live we're, we're still piecing it together but um keep an eye it'll be wednesday night on the trt facebook page Um, but we're, we're building up. We're going to go real hard. We've got our massive Bathurst preview, uh, coming as well. We'll run that Monday, Tuesday, next week. Um, the four of us plus a couple of experts and drivers and a few others will be contributing, um, to various questions that we've posed about it. Um, you can go back, we'll post some links to last year's ones as well. They work really well. So, um, yeah, we're going hard. We might not be able to be at Mount Panorama this year for all of the varying reasons, but, um, Ain't nothing going to stop us from covering that race and having a good time in great Motor Mud racing.
1: racing's just going to get in the way of the efficiency of our pumping out content. I mean, we're just it going is. to bash out so much content by not being there, being distracted by all that car racing going on. Do we each, order,
3: do we each order some Takeaway Chinese for Sunday night and have our traditional Takeaway yeah, Chinese over be, Zoom? That could be the okay. go.
2: And we should also mention, too, that uh, On The Grid we will be producing... It's a hourly podcast during the Bathurst race, where we'll be bringing you up today. So if you can't be near your TV and you need an update as to what's happening, just make sure that you've got your mobile phone and your podcast ability and you'll be able to catch up with everything.
3: How are the Chinese restaurants in Bathurst going to cope without any no, punters be. or media there? No, not be there next this, year. this is going to be the greatest economic crisis since the Depression.
1: I've just got a story idea. What I'm going to do is put down my wish list of things that I want all the punters who are in Bathurst yes. to live my dream, live my week out. The Wednesday lucky 4,000. The lucky 4,000. Wednesday night, the first Chinese restaurant. Yep. Uh, then off to Jack Duggan's. Then, yep. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. It'll be on the site.
4: Yeah. Do you think, do you reckon the, uh, the Chinese restaurants uh, there would, would Uber Eats to Melbourne and Lindock and Brisbane? <laughs> because I want to keep the economy going in
3: Bathurst.
2: Yeah, so do I. I need it to and, be there next and year. And you know the weird part about it is, Dale, will still be warm by the time it gets here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scary thing. Uh, Gentlemen, catch you next week. It's going to be a good. big Bathurst uh, preview week. Thanks for your uh, work today. And thank you for tuning in. As we said, jump on the socials and have a chat about our discussion today. We'll catch you next week. Bathurst week right here. On the
0: green. This program is a Radio
2: Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLemon.com.